In the war for Ukraine, it's Zelensky versus Putin. Two men with essentially the same first name fighting for their place in history, but not just for their respective countries, but for the ancestral roots that both Russia and Ukraine share and both rulers claim to be the true defender of. And a prince who ruled over a thousand years ago lies at the heart of that intertwined, controversial history. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. Today, how Vladimir the Great in Russian or Volodymyr in Ukrainian, take your pick, but be prepared to defend it, helps explain why Russia's Vladimir Putin is hell-bent on taking over Ukraine and why Volodymyr Zelensky is so adamantly defending it. Here to talk about this medieval prince is Olenka Pevny. She's a university lecturer in early Slavonic culture at the University of Cambridge in the United Kingdom. Olenka, welcome to The Times. Hello, it's great to be here. Before we get to the man himself and why he means so much to Russia and Ukraine, let's start with his kingdom. What was Kievan Rus? Great question. So Kievan Rus was not one thing the way we would imagine it. It wasn't a single state or the way Putin would sell it. But what it was, was a whole bunch of principalities. So at first there were Slavic tribes that lived there and they were pagan and they had various religions and various rulers. And then the Varangians came down river routes and developed these uh, settlements and these merchant areas. And these merchant areas eventually developed into principalities. And so there were many princes in the Rus lands, and there were many Rus lands. And so a prince in Kiev would live in the Kievan Rus lands, and a prince in the city of Novgorod would be in the Novgorodian Rus lands. So basically, what we need to do is get away from our notion of a state and think about trade routes and river routes and people they settled depending on who they wanted to trade with. That was where they developed these merchant settlements. At what point does it start to become something like a federation or more a little bit more of a grouping, like our idea of what a modern day state is? Well, it actually doesn't. That's the whole issue. Basically, this notion of unity begins to spread in this area through religion. So in 988, the state becomes Christian. What modern countries trace their roots back to Kievan Rus? Okay, so first and foremost, you should know about Ukraine. Kiev is the capital of Ukraine. And then there's also Belarus. That was an important area of uh, Rus lands. And of course, parts of Russia, the western parts of Russia. You mentioned the introduction of Christianity, and it all comes from this one prince. He was the third ruler of Kievan Rus and came to power in the late 10th century. But today he's known by a few names. Why is that the case? What names is he known by? And which one should people use? (laughs) Well, that is a political question. (laughs) So basically what you have to understand is what the tribes that lived in this area, they were also connected by the Slavic language. 
they all spoke some form of Slavic. And we usually refer to like the oldest Slavic as common Slavic. And then it starts differentiating in different areas. So we have South Slavic, West Slavic, East Slavic. The Ukrainians, Belarusians, and Russians all belong to the East Slavic group. In the old East Slavic, the name of this prince is Prince Volodymyr. Volodymyr. Yes. And so in Ukrainian, the name is Volodymyr. In Russian, it's Vladimir. Yeah, and then it gets transliterated into English as in Russian, Vladimir the Great, and in Ukraine, Prince Volodymyr. Volodymyr the Great. Volodymyr the Great. Part of the issue is that we as Westerners, or in this case, Americans, try to simplify things. And so for the longest time, we just look at Eastern Europe and call it Russia. We look at the Soviet Union, which had 15 republics, and call it Russia. Because of this prominence of Russia, we tend to transliterate things from Russian, even if they're not in Russia, the cities or the places or the rulers. So, for example, when Volodymyr ruled, there was no Moscow and was no Russia. Kiev, which most Americans used to spell K-I-E-V, but now very well know that it should be spelled K-Y-I-V, the difference is just a transliteration from Russian versus Ukrainian. Coming up after the break, how this prince brought Christianity to Kievan Rus. Welcome back. Olenka, before the break, we were talking about Kievan Rus, uh, these principalities, and one of the most iconic rulers was Prince Volodymyr in Ukrainian, Prince Vladimir in Russian. What is he most famous for? What is he most known for? Okay, so he is the prince who decided to adopt Christianity and to make his state Christian. But he's a very colorful guy. So his grandmother... Princess Olha was already a Christian, but, you know, we tend to, I don't know, highlight what men accomplish rather than what women accomplish. Yeah, sadly. Volodymyr, prior to becoming a Christian, had like hundreds of concubines and hundreds of children and drank a lot and ate a lot. And then, of course, he accepted Christianity and reformed. He looked to Byzantium, to the city of Constantinople, because that was then the biggest city in Europe. And so he looked to the east and took Christianity from there. And it is he who started then to build churches in the area of Kiev, and he was a ruler of Kiev. And it is from Kiev that Christianity spread to other Ruslands. What are some of the other legends that surrounds Prince Volodymyr bringing Orthodox Christianity to Kievan Rus? One of these fabulous legends is why did he choose Christianity from Byzantium and not, let's say, from Rome? Why didn't he not choose a different religion rather than choosing Christianity from Constantinople? What he did, supposedly, is call ambassadors to come and talk to him 
from all of these different places about different religions, about Judaism, about Latin Christianity, about Eastern Christianity. And he also sent his envoys to these various different places to check out which of these religions looks best. They decided on Eastern Christianity from Byzantium, partially because they were in awe of the Cathedral of St. Sophia in Constantinople. And I don't know how many of your listeners have been to Istanbul, but that cathedral is still uh, standing. And it was the largest Christian structure that existed at that time. And its vaultings were covered with gold mosaics and the liturgy was beautiful. So this is what led them to pick this Christianity. And Christianity then also sets off an era of art and architecture that becomes unique to Kievan Rus. Yeah, so his ambassadors told him about how beautiful the liturgy was and the church, and they basically say we had no idea whether we were in heaven or on earth when we were in this church. But the priests also scared him a little bit. They showed him icons of the last judgment and basically said, this is what will happen to you if you do not accept Christianity, and this is what will happen to you if you do accept Christianity. The very unique form of artwork associated with Orthodox Christianity are icons and images of icons. And what Volodymyr and his successors did was build up the city of Kiev on the model of Constantinople. But of course, No two cities are the same. No two churches are the same. They have to use local materials, local artists. And so you developed a local art form in Kiev. And the prince's embrace of Christianity was so momentous to the region that he's actually a saint in both Russia and in Ukraine. And because of that becomes this mythic figure. That is correct. He actually wasn't sainted immediately. He was sainted probably somewhere in the 14th, 15th century. And we don't really know about the canonization process in the Middle Ages. So there were many saints before him that are local, like his two sons, Boris and Gleb, this Saint Philodosi, who had a really mean mom who uh, beat him up a lot, who's the founder of the Caves Monastery in Kiev. But yes, he is a saint in all three nations, in the Russian Orthodox Church, in the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, as the prince who brought Christianity to Eastern Europe. After the break, how Russian President Vladimir Putin uses a story of the prince to his own end. And we're back. Olenka, we talked about the role that Prince Volodymyr played in the history of Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus. But one person in particular right now seems to be very interested in the prince's story, Vladimir Putin. How has the Russian president used his namesake prince's history since coming to power? So the dictator that we have sitting in Moscow right now, the autocrat, basically is using his own version of the medieval past to create the notion 
that all three Slavic lands, Belarus, Ukraine, and Russia, are from their core and very beginning together one entity, the Holy Rus state. So he is retelling the story to his advantage. Already in the Russian Empire, this idea of uniting all of these territories was prevalent and they needed to create a historical past, a historical legend that would allow all of these people to see each other as unified. So to stress the homogeneity of these peoples rather than the differences among these people. The Russian Empire has to face this problem that they have autocracy, they have nationality, and they have orthodoxy. And they combine these three elements, but by nationality, they don't admit the existence of various nations within the Russian Empire. They stress the great Russian nationality. So by nation, they only mean Great Russian. They don't mean Belarusian, they don't mean Ukrainian, they don't mean anyone else, because they're trying to create a unified identity. And Putin is basically following in the footsteps of these autocrats who are trying to collect an empire and emphasize homogeneity and not allow sovereign nation states to decide their own existence. How does Russia portray Prince Vladimir then in popular culture today? I think they trace their origins to Prince Vladimir. For example, Putin put up a statue of Prince Vladimir in the center of Moscow that is monumental. And it also helps that Vladimir and Putin have the same name. So you could see the connection there. And so they they emphasize this story of their origins lying in the city of Kiev and use that as a pretext to invade Ukraine. I think what we need to understand is we live today and we use history as a tool, right? You can't decide Okay, I'm going to look back at, you know, the year 988 and use that as the period to which I will trace my roots or my state. And then someone else will say, no, I want to focus on the 16th century. And what was in the 16th century is the right way to build today's world. The right way to build today's world is to acknowledge freedom, democracy and sovereignty of individuals. I know in Russia, there's been kids cartoons about Prince Vladimir, a movie. But how do Ukrainians feel about Putin invoking their Prince Volodymyr? I mean, this is a man who came from Kiev and there's been a statue of Prince Volodymyr in Kiev since 1853. There's a cartoon that I show at the start of my class here at Cambridge because I teach the Kiev and Rus class. And it shows the statue of Volodymyr in Moscow looking down at the Muscovites in front of the Kremlin, and the statue looks around and says, where the hell am I? Who are these people, right? Because Moscow was only founded in the mid-12th century, and Vladimir lived in the late 10th century. So Moscow didn't exist when Vladimir lived. I take it then that Ukrainians are just incredibly upset, especially now as they're being invaded by Russia, 
and that Putin is going back to history that happened in what's now Ukraine to justify what he's doing. Yeah. Do you know, it wasn't always like that between Ukrainians and Russians. And I actually think that what Putin did was create a stronger, more determined Ukraine and Ukrainian identity than it was before, right? Because once you have another country slaughter your mothers and children and sons, it's very hard to think of that nation as a brotherly nation. Finally, Olenka, there's one part of the prince's story that we haven't gotten to, the ending. What happened after Prince Volodymyr's reign ended in 1015? Okay, so this is the issue that also adds to this story. He had a lot of sons, you know, because he actually had illegitimate sons too, but he also had a lot of legitimate sons. And of course, they all wanted to rule. And so you had these battles and they all killed each other off or half of them killed each other off. And then finally, this guy, Yaroslav, who actually built the cathedral in Kiev, became Prince of Kiev. But what you have is internal strife. Like these princes are always fighting with each other for different lands. And partially this is because there's a lot of confusion about how to succeed to the throne. Eventually, after 1125, some of the princes get smart and say, this isn't worth the effort. I'm just going to build up my own little principality and make it the stronghold of my kingdom. In a way, that is how the story of Moscow comes about. The northern princes settling in Vladimir, Suzdal, and then going to Moscow and building up their patrimonial lands as opposed to fighting for the throne of Kiev. Olenka, thank you so much for this conversation. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, a Minnesota family looks for their loved one in Venice Beach, California. Kasha Brasalian was the hef on this episode, and our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton, and our theme music is by Andrew Eppin. And hey, we always want your feedback, so call or text 619-800-0717, 619-800-0717. Give roses, give thorns, give buds, whatever all this new age talk is, but just tell us who you are, what you think about our show, all that good stuff. Thanks in advance, and I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and this madre. Gracias. Gracias.